Welcome to Resilient Love Podcast. Join hosts Quentin and Brianna as they discuss tips on love, life, and business. Let's get into this next episode. We're back with another Resilient Love episode. How y'all doing? We hope you're doing good. We're doing great. Yes. So um, we're really excited today because we're actually um, doing a series, really, of just getting to know um, different people, the things that they've experienced. Um, We're switching it up this season, wanting to really make connections and get to know people at the core and begin to take those life experiences and provide you all with even more tips to really truly have a successful life. Um, So I'm really excited. I'm going to bring on, we're bringing on a special guest. And so I want you guys to meet him right now, Mr. Frederick. Let's see. Hi, Mr. Frederick. Hey, y'all. How y'all doing? Good. Good. Uh, we want you to go ahead and take this moment to just share with our listeners who you are, what you're about. Cool. Okay. So, well, first and foremost, I am. My name is Frederick Beatty. I am an author. I'm a blogger. Um, I am also an inadvertent domestic violence advocate. I'm also a also kind of sort of a social justice commentator. Um, I am a I'm a veteran of the United States Navy. Um, served three years in the Navy. Thank you for your um, service. And- no problem. Thank, thank you for thank you for your support, and I, and honestly speaking, I just really and also I'm a I'm a um, I'm a radio show host. So honestly speaking, what I the things that I do, I just want to bring awareness to a lot to not only just domestic violence, but social and social justice, but also just talk about issues that affect us not only in the black community but also in our in other communities as well because certain problems all problems are not always the black community's problems it's everyone's problem yes so true you jumping out the gate with some stuff it's everybody's <laughs> problem like we have to stop making it a black or white issue it's a all of our issue we're supposed right. to be community family yes indeed, indeed. well that is awesome yeah. um I'm a, I'm just on cloud nine. I'm about to be on cloud ten with the conversation. Um, so we're going to get into it, Mr. Frederick. We want you to share with our listeners about violence, mental and emotional effects of that. And um, we had had a conversation, and you shared with us that you went through abuse. You yourself had a moment, and so most people think about domestic violence from a woman's perspective. And I am just very eager, as you can hear in my voice, to get the male perspective because I and my husband, you know, as a black man, you know, what emotional conversations, digging deep, what do you feel? Why did you go through that? Men don't share that. And so we're going to just let you flow. What was going on during that time? Well, I can tell you from... And again, I've I've been through both sides of that. I've been the abuser. I've been the abused. Um, from the abuser standpoint, it's the flood of emotions that went through me as um I'm being being let being walked out of the home that I was living in at the time to being put in the back of a police car to talking to a an officer about what happened and tearfully going through that confession and then understanding the reality of what what happened and also really the consequences of the action that I took really kind of, it really sat home for me and I was really in a, in a space to where I just couldn't believe it was going on, going, it was happening. And for a while there, you know, my emotions went kind of numb because again, I was in this space to where I couldn't believe it was happening, but right. 
it came to a point to where I had to realize that, well, this happened and now you got to, you have to take the consequences of it. You know, Ooh. at the end, at the end, of, at the end of the whole thing, I will, you know, end up being extremely remorseful for, for what I did, you know, and just to kind of give a brief overview of that, um, I was dating an individual, you know, we got into an argument, um, that argument turned violent. Um, it ended up being in the, the young lady that I was dating ended up being hurt. Um, she had a nice, she had a nice long gastric along, along her finger, along her hand from here to here. And, you know, me realizing what happened, stammering through an apology, you know, things like that hit home. And yeah. then going through the part of then going through the part of being abused, you think that it does you think that it can't happen to you. You think that it yeah. won't happen to you. And then when it does happen to you, you're in this, and I can only speak from my own experience, you're in this extremely weird space to where you're like, what the hell's going on? Why is this going on? And how in the world, how in the hell did I get myself involved in this? Or even how did I allow this to happen? Right. And you look at it and again, like you mentioned before, it does this doesn't happen to men. Men don't we we as men, especially black men, we don't talk about this. Right. We don't talk, exactly. about, we don't talk about it at all. And for me, I just put I think I felt like I was just again just one of those in that statistic again that doesn't they won't talk about it. But on, I won't say what I'll say. Unfor, I'll say unfortunately, you know, the Most High had a different plan for that. Mm-hmm. So, I ended, I, I ended, I did speak my story from both ends of the spectrum. Um, but the mental aspects of it were, were, were I would say were devastating, because that road to recovery was difficult. right. That road, like, um. Really, when you say that you were abused, at what age was that? This was in my this was in my early this was in my um early twenties. This is I was actually dating a woman who was emotionally, mentally, and then at times physically abusing me. So, oh my goodness! This was yeah. in my early this was in my like early twenty early to late twenties. Mm. So, so so typically we don't never hear that. You know, that's just a it's a different. It's a stereotype that it never happens to men. Exactly. Yeah. But then you look, but then you, I, I looked at it from the standpoint as one instant, one instance stigmatized me. Which is the, 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 the abuser part. The other, the other incident, which is being the, being the abused, actually ostracized me. Yes. Because, mm-hmm. because now you deal with these strong emotions. And now you have to find a way to find a way to kind of channel those emotions because now it's like, because for a long time I was at a play, I was at a, I was at a really, really dark place. Um, didn't really want to be bothered with anybody, um, suffer through depression. Suppression was a constant friend of mine all the time. Um, I limited my relationships with, with well, I limited my relationships with people, but with women in general, I limited my relationships to just sexual encounters because I didn't want to be in because I didn't want the emotional or mental things associated with it. Because mm-hmm. the, the moment I put myself in an emotional situation, all of a sudden that per, I was afraid that person may cry wolf or that person may say, Well, he hurt me, and then we go we go right back down this rabbit hole again. And it took me a very long time to, to climb out of that bear pit. Um, yep. As many times I fell back down into the bear pit, I had to keep clawing my way back. And again, just it was an um, extremely emotional situation. I mean, there were there would be day there would be days that I would just I would just cry uncontrollably for days at a time. Um, and yeah. my my work performance suffered because of that i mean i lost a couple of good jobs and as a result of that because of the way the the way my mental state was at that time and i can i can personally say this at that time when you know during that period i know my mental state was very unstable um the i took i took more i took more risk 
Yeah, would, at that time, I right. That I would have normally done, that I would have normally taken. Things that would have, that I normally would have been like, yeah, that I'm normally cautious about, you know. And like I said, my relationship with women were was more or less in a sexual nature. Um, and I made I made a I made a habit of expressing that up, up front, which really just drew away a lot of people that would have wanted really wanted that really had wanted to support me or be around for me. I really kind of isolated myself from people because mm-hmm. I thought that everybody at that point had had it in for me. And because yeah. I realized it really, that wasn't the case. But so I really just kind of made myself a recluse. And I I know I, I emote I think I you know it it put me in this very dark spot and it took a very long time for me to climb out of that and even when I climbed out of it I still felt like I was in this weird space because I was wondering if I had to look over my shoulder mm-hmm. every now and again because because I didn't want because I and, and I was very and even when I came out of it I was very cautious in how I approach women because I didn't want to you know be be that person that was overly aggressive and things of that nature and even when talking with you know with with family talking with a therapist um even now I still I still continue to talk with a therapist um, okay I was gonna ask like how how is it how has the transition into the recovery, because like you said, the road to recovery from being abused, being the abuser, having that emotional trauma attached. And then, as you said, the relationships were were basically on a here we are. Now I'm leaving. No real connection here type mm-hmm. thing. So, yeah. Can, yeah. Dig into that a little bit. Like going to therapy how has that been it's been it's been really it's i'll say it's been it's been very cathartic for me it also helps that i that I actually write that I actually write mm-hmm. so it's, but and then it really helped me look a lot deeper into who i deeper into who i am and also look a lot deeper into a lot of the things that may have, that could have possibly triggered it okay um, you know i i've for the for the longest of time since I've been a teenager, I've had I've had issues with and have I've had anger issues. Um, and those stemmed from a lot of the things that I experienced, you know, with my mother and my father, you know, when I was talking to them and then getting absolution from that really pulled those, they pulled those things down, pulled that anger down, you know. But then there's still anger issues with, you know, there were still issues with my own self, you know, of you know failing myself as a father, failing, failing my kids as a father, failing myself as an adult, as a person and things of that nature. And then also taking, you know, I took, you know, even through the healing process, you, you take set, you take setbacks, you get hit with things that you, that are unexpected. Um, mm-hmm. Losing, losing, losing a child, losing a child, my oldest child to a police involved shooting was something that kind of really just pushed me back like ages so all the improvement that I made from and then and, yeah and then yeah. And again all the improvement I made in this and like the, this the whole all this stuff happened in 1990 all the domestic violence stuff happened in 1997 so between the years of 1997 and 1998 so it's been a very long time right so it's been almost it's been over 15 20 years but some but then now being an an inadvertent advocate of it and to talk about it still, it still brings about those strong emotions. And even, like I said, the setbacks that I took, that setback that I took when I lost my son, really kind of threw me, bent through me, kind of in a in a in that weird space again. And I had to yeah. ask myself, am I going to throw away all this improvement, all this progress that I made, or am I just going to continue to keep going? So I had mm-hmm. to tell myself, I just, I just had to sit myself down for a moment and just let me pro let me process all this right let me, let me put all this in some sort of per, some semblance of a perspective and then make sense of it because mm-hmm. now now i was looking at looking at a pieces of a puzzle okay does this play does this piece fit here this this piece fit there and 
for a while I was, that's what I was doing, just putting the puzzle back together because now you have the emotional and mental trauma of being abused. And now you have the emotional and mental trauma of loss. And after a while, those, when those things pile up on you, they become a heavy burden. Yeah. And sometimes, and sometimes that burden is sometimes it's too much to bear. And I'm going to, I mean, and this, this is me being extremely transparent with you guys. So all that, that happened, even though the domestic violence incident happened in nine, in like 15, 20 years ago, the loss of my child is still something that's still fresh. Yeah. And so, and two, so all that stuff came to a head in 2018. So I actually did make it, I did actually did make an attempt to take my life at that time. Thank God it didn't work, and thank God I'm I'm real I'm real I'm real bad at planning stuff. <laughs> oh Lord! <laughs> thank God it didn't work. I'm real bad. I'm real bad at planning stuff because it it, it didn't work, and and I'm here I'm here today because of that. Um, yes, because you're here today to tell us yeah, how you yeah, made it over, and that is the power behind this message today. That despite the pressures of life. You prevailed. Indeed. Indeed. And you continue to prevail. And it's just it's just a test. It, I think all of our stories work together for the greater good. Has so to that we, has we, to. we so and now and I'll jump right into the next question. It's kind of going into the next question a little bit, but just to build off that, the next question is. Now that we understand more about what you have experienced in your life and how those traumas have impacted on relationships, can we talk more about family relationships? What does family mean to you? Oh, man. <laughs> it's a pack. It's a loaded question now. <laughs> I know. I know. And I'm, and I'm definitely not going to give you not going to give you the, the standard answer because the standard answer would really just <laughs> would but pale in comparison to what I really feel, to what I really feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody can say that family is everything to them. They can say that, but, but can they say that with conviction? Can they say that with all honesty? And can they say that with truly me saying that same, when you truly say that it actually has a meaning behind it. Mm -hmm. I know I can say that with all three of those because, you know, my family, um, on, on, on either side have been extremely supportive of what I've been doing thus far. Um, a lot of them don't know about the, the abuse, the abuse and the abuser part of it. They don't know about the, you know, the suicide attempt and things of that nature, but they, but they're extremely supportive in the things that I do. And I keep, I keep that, I keep that part of it to myself. And, mm -hmm. and well, I'll take that back. I, I reveal that to all to certain people in my family that I know I can that I know I can really entrust in that. You know, my mother right. and my younger my younger and my mother brother and my young my younger brother and my mother have been extremely supportive and extremely helpful. Um, especially now during this particular time of transition, because now I'm actually going through a divorce. And they've been extremely helpful during that this time of transition because they've offered their yeah, they they've offered their home, they offered their home, and they offered their hearts to me, and they listen to me without judgment. That's right. And that's and that's extremely important to me. Um, they give they give me they give me unadulterated, uncensored, uncut advice, and sometimes that sometimes that advice that advice hurts, but at the same mm -hmm. time, it it's something that it's something that I need to hear. Um, so for me, family means so much to me uh, especially in this day especially now in this day and age that we're experiencing um the relationships that, that i have with um people outside of that also mean something to me because these are relationships that are that were forged that were forged during adversity and they were forged during in the fire and fire yes and the friendship the, the friendship that i have with a couple of really good friends of mine are are strong friendships that endure even to this day. And one of my good friends knows every aspect about me, everything that I've been through, everything that I've experienced. And 
they still rock they still rock with me without judgment that fan, that's family <laughs> they don't moved up the chain they family oh yeah <laughs> oh they they oh they in family status now i mean it's and it's important <laughs> when they when someone rocks with you without judgment it it means a lot to it means a lot and it i'm getting misty eye right now is when i think about it because this person could have walked away when they heard all of that mm-hmm. they could have walked away they could have walked away from the they could have walked away when i told them i i, I hurt i hurt a woman they could have walked away when i said i, I attempted to suicide they could have walked away from all that yet they still rock with me to this day and i'm I'm so I'm grateful. I'm so grateful for the connection. And it means a lot to me to to do everything in my power to preserve it. Yes. Yeah. And shout out to that person because this is an awesome man we're talking with, Mr. Frederick. And he's dropping some gems to let you all know, like, life happens and it can get rough. But when you have community, when you have love, and when you are able to just lean, you know, like that song, Lean On Me, Lean yeah. On Me. When you can <laughs> lean on somebody when you're not strong, that really helps. Like the song say, it helps you to carry on because Indeed. I couldn't carry myself for that season. But having you with me to carry me through, Lord, I ain't trying to preach. And, and, and <laughs> the simple fact that you you express that there is really no cookie cutter answer, but you have to just flow through your own process, and it's gonna look way different than somebody else's. Yes, but you in that process, like I have an uncle, great uncle, he always says you have to grow through life, life, and not just go through. It's it's impossible. <laughs> That but it but you know what but your but your uncle said but what your uncle says is has so much truth in it because you do have to grow through life because there are no cookie cutter answers to anything that you experience or anything that you go through it's just yeah. a learning experience you know you you learned a lesson to me life is about lessons that life life is about lessons small ones large ones intermediate ones mm-hmm. very very minute ones. All everything in life is about a lesson. The trick, the the trick is, is are you going to learn the lesson to move forward, or mm-hmm. are you not going to learn the lesson and stay stuck in where you are? Now that's now that's true, <laughs> because when you get exposed to um the answer, let me say it like that: when you get the answer to the the key to the next door or the answer to the question. You no longer can walk in a level of ignorance. You no longer can walk in a level of, I don't know how to approach this because when you get tested, you then become an expert in your own situation. I can be a professor of (laughs) my trauma. My trauma has been my teacher and now Mm -hmm. I can teach you a lesson. So yeah, yeah. so so with that family community it brings us to that deeper more recent situation of Mm. gun violence it brings us to this level of what do we do to bring back that to to stop the violence i mean in in short to just stop the violence but Violence does come in situations, and a lot of times people try to put black on black crime, or it's only in the African American community. But we know that it's violence everywhere, as we said earlier. You know, it's about all of us, it's all of our problems. So, when you experience that situation with your son, like walk us through that. What what is what is your next steps now since that has occurred? Well, hmm. I'll answer. I'll answer. Well, you know what? I'll start at the beginning. So let's see. And I'm and I'm a prefer. I'm a preface this with this particular thing. So July fourth and July twelfth, which is my actual birth, which is my actual birthday, are two days that I actually 
dread now. Ooh. It's been so I dread those. I've been dreading those days for the last five years. The reason this is and the reason because of that is because on July 4th, I received a phone call from my son's grandmother informing me that he was shot and killed by a police officer. Now, normally, normally I'm a I'm a pretty calm individual. <laughs> yeah. Now, and the funny part about it, I won't say the funny part, but the the funny part about this is I've received this call in Wal in a Walmart, and I'm actually holding a box that has a barbecue grill in it, and I dropped the barbecue grill. So for the better part of, I'm gonna say maybe 45 seconds to probably a minute, everything that I knew, my whole world just stopped and just went slow, went to a crawl. Mm-hmm. Everybody is moving in slow motion around me, and there's so many thoughts running around in my head. All of a sudden, I snap back into reality and I'm like, did I just hear what I just heard? Hold on, repeat, say that again. Repeat that, please. Right. And then she said it again, and I brought an immediate, I won't say finality to it, but I was like, well, this can't be true. This can't be happening. And on instinct, you know, because I because I was shopping for stuff for Fourth of July, I went ahead and finished my shopping. But when I got in my vehicle to go back home, now the Walmart where I lived, where I where now I lived in Florida at the time, I'm in Georgia. Now the Walmart okay. that I was at was the Walmart that I was at was at in Florida was like five minutes from my house, so it was mm-hmm. literally less literally less than a two literally less than a two and a half mile drive. It took me thirty minutes to get back to the house because. My hand, my hands and my body was shaking so uncontrollably. Mm. Um, fast forward, fast forward, maybe fast forward, maybe about two weeks later. Um, well, eight days later. I'm in, I'm in this, I'm in Virginia. I'm in Newport News, Virginia. Um, we go to, excuse me, we go to his his wake, which was July 12th. Your birthday. That was the last, yep, that was the last time. That I actually that I physically saw my child, my son. Mm-hmm. It was a very surreal and rather, I won't say unnerving, but it was a very surreal experience. Um, yeah, to see his lifeless body right there, just and to know that I could never physically say anything to him, or never physically touch or see him in that instance again. You know, the following day, there was a there was a home going. There was a home going service. Um, later that day, you know, they finally committed. We, they finally committed his body to the um, to the ground, or back to the earth. And that is when the finality of everything hit me. To know that he is no longer ever able to be physically present on this plane. Mm-hmm. With me, with his mother, with his cousins, with his aunties, with his uncles, they hit. They hit like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Actually, I take that back. I it it that guy that I I literally felt like I got like Mike Tyson literally hit me with an uppercut. Mm. And y'all and everybody knows how devastating those can be. Yeah, Mike but Tyson, I, he's strong. So I literally felt like I got hit with it. I would have with one of those uppercuts from Mike Tyson. And it literally just put me in this, this ugly, this really weird and uncomfortable space for a very long time. Um, and again, suffered, you know, I've, depression has always been one of those, one of those D, one of those, Demons that I that I necessarily can't that you net you don't necessarily shake you get rid of it for a moment but you don't shake it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now, even in the wake of you know George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Atiana Jefferson, right. Rayshard Brooks, um, Drayshawn Reed, and you know countless others, 
now now I'm introduced to something called anxiety. And now I'm also now I'm also introduced to something that's called PTSD. And both of these guys are just our constant companions now. And I'm like, where? Why is this happening? Why is why am I going through all this? Why the hell is this happening? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every time, and every time that I saw, especially what happened to what happened to George Floyd is that was that was hard yeah. to watch. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, and it shot my anxiety through the roof. I think my anxiety was on one million that day. And I was like, this is this is crazy. And again, like you know, PTSD is is a is a constant friend of mine now because now it's just like you kind of, you kind of walk through life and you kind of walk through the life that you have now and you just wonder, like. Am I gonna be the next person that's gonna that's gonna get it, or mm-hmm. am I gonna get another phone call from a family member saying that they're saying that they're that they're not here, not only because of police violence, but just of just because of violence. Period. Yeah, yeah. And I and I and that's that's something I just really don't want. But I mean, it's I mean, if if it, if it's meant to happen, it's meant to happen. It's just I just I think I know how to deal how to kind of deal with it better. But moving forward, but at the same time, you know, you still, it's just something that you don't prepare yourself for. You don't prepare yourself for losing somebody. You don't prepare yeah. yourself for how to, how to deal with that. And even to this day, you know, there's still more questions than there are answers. Thanks so much for listening to mm-hmm. Resilient a, Love Podcast. There was, there was a lot there we, we wanted to take this opportunity to also let you know that you can help us by committing to a monthly fee of 99 cent, 2.99, or 9.99. Those contributions help us to keep this movement of resilient love going. Blessings to all listeners that and subscribers. For the amount that they Thank you all. For. It settled for about $6,700, which is the amount of uh, the average. Resilient love. Wow. So, so go, so go, so go, so go, so go, so, you know, try wrapping your head around that and then understand. Then also, during the interim of all this, you know, there's a little, there's a little, there's a, there's a little girl involved now. A little five, a little five year, a five year old little girl. That's that's my granddaughter. Mm. Some someone that will never know who her father is. She'll right. know him through pictures and through videos, but she won't be able to physically see him, physically hold him, physically be able to t- tell him that she loves him and him say him return to for him returning. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at I look at her and. There's so much that I want to shield her from. Right. There's this so much world. I want to not to, to not expose her from, to not expose her to. And I try to do whatever it is in my power to try to help her with that. Now, to answer the other question about, you know, gun violence and things of that nature, um I live in a I actually live in a house with gun with gun owners. Okay. Um, I am one. I am one myself. It okay. goes to, I think, to curb things like that. It goes to responsible ownership of a weapon. Yeah. Understanding that weapon. Understanding that that weapon is, can end up being can be a lethal weapon when you when when used in the manner it's supposed to be used in. Um, understanding that there you have to be. You have to be cognizant of what you have in your hands because mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a power, it's a powerful thing, and it can be used to either injure or it can be used to harm someone, or it can be used to, to take somebody's life. And you have to understand that once you pull, once you pull the trigger, that's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm again, I'm former military, so for me been learning i had to learn i had to learn to be learn safety with guns at a you know at a way early age i went to the military at at 18 years old so i was exposed to guns 
I was exposed to I was exposed to guns at at between 18 and 19 years old and had continually been exposed to those as a, as an adult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you you learn you learn how to properly handle a weapon. You learn how to properly dis, you know store a weapon. You learn how to properly you know take care of that weapon and things of that nature. But you also learn how to be safe with it. You also learn how to be sensible with it. Learn exactly. you, know, you you learn you learn the situations to where you can can you can can wield it and also when to not wield it you know there are you know there are law there are law there are laws in every state for a reason you know concealed carry laws open carry laws um there there are provisions for when you argue when you're able to employ a weapon in a concealed carry situation or even in an open carry situation you know everybody's mm-hmm. perception of that is different um you know to me a a gun should always be used as a last resort exactly i agree to, should always be used as a last resort cuz if you know if you can't resolve an issue by talking to somebody or trying to talk the situation down to where it deescalates if you can talk the person down to where it deescalates then mission accomplished if that mm-hmm. person still wants to escalate you just because you have a gun in your just because you have a gun on your waist doesn't necessarily <laughs> give you carte blanche to just pull it out because there there are certain provisions and situations to where that is done right and see my husband he used to be in law enforcement so <laughs> he um he I, was at the sheriff's I, office I, well, so over 5 years i mm-hmm. never I had to draw, but I never had to actually use anything. I and for me, I guess I I just grew up in an old school environment, old school family. We gonna tussle it out, and then we might hug after. See, so I guess see, you know what? Is is that exactly, exactly, exactly? You know, if hey, you got a problem, man, let's come on, let's let's go out here to this front yard and just and and box and box. You know what I'm saying? I mean, because, whoever whoever. Is, Whoever get knocked down, get knocked down. But you know, we're gonna show love afterwards. And the way I saw, and it, a lot of those individuals, like we bumping each other, we laugh now. You know, you made me work, <laughs> you made me run. So you know, using a weapon to me is too easy. Mm-hmm. And it's a coward, coward's way out. <laughs> so it's just the thought process behind it, like you said. It's it's gotta, but if you haven't been trained that way, you haven't been design you know raise that way it's just it's different we're in a different space now it but is, uh, it is oh and the one thing that I, the one thing that i've that i've tried that i've reached out to especially when it came to law enforcement um i've talked to a couple of i've had conversations with sheriff with sheriffs with uh sheriff's departments in the state of florida um just having conversations about you know de-escalation tactics um you know, proper, you know, I won't say proper use of force because every, because use of force is different in everybody, in everybody's eyes, but yeah, it has to, it has to be looked at in, in the legal, the legality of it. What is the legal jar? What is the legal definition for use of force? We have to look at it in that instance. You know, if you, if someone had, doesn't have, does someone isn't presenting a danger to you and they're not, they're not being aggressive or violent in any chain, any chain, in any case of form. And they're just, you know, they're, I won't say peacefully surrendering, but if they, if they don't present themselves as a threat, then you mm-hmm. shouldn't employ, mm-hmm. shouldn't employ a weapon, shouldn't employ a deadly weapon. I mean, I can understand a taser. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But employing something such as a gun or a rifle in those instances I don't see I can't I can't see the justification behind that if even if the person looks like they're going to make a move towards something I mean you you warn them and but you know you employ the taser first you don't outright shoot somebody I mean to me an imminent threat is somebody charging at me with a lethal weapon or somebody readying and readying readying a gun or a rifle at me with the intent with the with the with the clear intent to shoot correct exactly mm-hmm. 
that's for that's me. And I mean, and, and like I said, your your history of law enforcement. I mean, they've I'm pretty sure they they've taught they've taught they've taught you guys rules of engagement, you know, or how or how to better how to effectively employ rules of engagement. Right. I mean, we that's something we've been that's something we were taught in the military all the time. I mean, now I served in the Navy, so you know, I wasn't in an actual theater of combat, though I did serve serve during Desert Shield, Desert Storm. My experience was Ooh. mostly in close. My experience was mostly in close protection. Mm-hmm. So I did. I, I did a stint as a close protection agent. So rules of engagement are different. You know, exactly. only fire, return fire, fired upon, or you know, if, even if being fired upon, you know, assess the situation first and see if that see if you can leave the situation without without you know without without causing gunshots. But there's some some instances where you have to engage. You have to engage. Mm-hmm. Right. And like you said, you only drew down on one person, but you never you never opened fire on anybody, which shows a considerable amount of restraint. Yeah, yeah. he was in there for yeah. five years. But it's just that and it's a lot of people I work with. And it's like everybody does not have some some people want to get in this field just to say, hey, I, there's some real when we really break down and assess. That's that's a whole nother podcast. But. When we oh, really yeah. assess, when you take that shield off, when you you not protected with that umbrella, what's really going on in here? Because you find a lot of issues that behind the shield. Yeah, and a lot of these tests are not really designed to hit those pressure points to find out is this person capable of protecting and serving. Period. Hmm. And it and, it's, and it goes right back to the community part of it because, again, responsible gun ownership is literally just it's literally just that, you know. Mm-hmm. You <clears throat> you teach you teach you teach people how to properly handle, how to properly store, how to properly use a firearm, and if you're and if you're gonna and, and if you're gonna be and if you're gonna have that thing around, have something like that around a child, especially a young child, because I mean I've seen news reports of young kids playing, you know, taking their, taking their parents' gun and actually the gun goes off and they end up shooting themselves with that. So mm-hmm. it, it it does go to being responsible with it. You know, if you're going to have a gun in the house with young children, put it somewhere to where no one, where they can't have access to it. If you, if you, if you purchase, if you, if you have a gun safe, put it in a safe. I put, I, I see, I highly suggest one would buy with a biometric lock. Yeah. Oh, your biometric signature and you know and if you're gonna and if you're gonna have it around kids i mean at least show you know teach them that this is the reason why you have it and also if you're in you know and if you're gonna now if you're gonna you can also empower a child to be a responsible gun owner or a responsible person that uses a gun so i don't see an issue in teaching a child how to use a firearm um some people take issue to that i don't um Hell, I was taught as a kid to use a bow and arrow from my dad at a young age. So <laughs> I mean, and I think we miss those simple old, you know, traditions like, you know, back in the day, people were using axes. You know, little yeah. kids were cutting down the wood themselves. I mean, you were running down the bull. I mean, not the bull, but the buffalo, or you know, I mean, it was some real hands-on work right. with tools yeah. and devices that you know typically today we're like no Johnny shouldn't do that Sally shouldn't do that but she will but think about it <laughs> but think about it though but think about it though I'm, and this is something I want to just kind of bring to you guys attention this is something and it's and it's about a, a very good stark contrast mm-hmm. you see you see why you see white families showing their kids how to use rifles and guns and crossbows and um, compound bows just showing these kids how to hunt how to mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how to do things like that we don't us as us as parent black parents we don't show our kids how to do those things how to hunt how to how to survive how to be how to be self-sustainable mm-hmm. so, when right. some, so, when some, so when something does happen they can go. They can go out here. They can. They can take a hunting rifle. They can take a bow and arrow. They can. They can take a crossbow. 
they can take a hunting knife and they can go out and sustain for themselves. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't teach our kids that. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's so and true. It's, and it's, I think it's, those skills are important. Self-sufficiency is lacking in the black community. Yeah. Whether it is surviving in the wild or being able to take care of your house. Self-sufficiency mm-hmm. is lacking. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Oh, but um and overall, overall, we appreciate you sharing your story. What are your next steps in life? And where can our listeners follow you? Can you provide three tips? One for life, one for business, and one for relationships. I know we got some local <laughs> questions. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know what the funny part about it is? I love loaded questions. I really do. Um, I'm probably one of the few people that love loaded questions. So to answer the first part of that, um, first of all, um, I appreciate you guys having me, man. I'm honored to be here. Um, next steps for me. Well, hmm. Gonna come. First of all, I'm going to, you know, continue to try to go on this journey of self-discovery and self-healing. Um, being able to tap and being able to learn how to tap into my inner self and just learn more about who I am. Um, mm-hmm. Secondly, is just continue to continue to, to continue to work the vision of my podcast and continue to bring on people who are who can be change agents for domestic violence, social change, all the and and everything else that that entails. Um, the other the other thing is just continue continue writing um, to have four published works out there, two, two books that I've written and <clears throat> excuse me, two that I've co-written. That means a lot to me. And I'm, and I'm going to continue, I'm going to continue writing and let's see words for life, words for business and words for relationships. Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to start with the last one first. I'm going to start with relationships first because that is kind of the crux of the journey for me. Um, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Successful relationships begin at the core, begin with you at the core of it. Mm-hmm. If you understand who you are as an individual, you'll be better able to understand the person that you're trying to build a relationship with. And this is whether it's a friendship, a marriage a long-term relationship with someone or even a business relationship and i like that get to the core (laughs) who are you tips for business Hmm. Mm -mm -mm. you know what i'm gonna go i'm gonna i won't say i'm gonna go old school but i'm gonna go with something that a good friend of mine taught me or show or spoke to me about when and this is way before I even thought about doing podcasts or writing or anything like that. Businesses start with businesses start with a with a vision. If that if that if that vision is clear, then then build it. If that vision is not clear, do everything that you can to make it clear and then build it. Mm. And words of advice for life. <laughs> Jeez, I could I could probably wax I could probably wax philosophical with that pretty much all day. <laughs> but <laughs> for me, and I think everybody can apply, can literally apply this to their own life. You know, life is all about life is never about the destination. It's about the journey to get to the destination. The destination has already pre already been predetermined and pre-planned. It's That's up to true. us to determine it's up to us to determine how we get there. Do you are you are you gonna slip? Are you gonna set take setbacks along the way? Of course you are. Are you going to be derailed or go off course? Of course you are. Are people gonna jump on your vehicle and just ride with you for a little ways? Of course they are. That's all that's all that entails a journey. But as long as you take the journey, that is what's important. You know, 
the, the Chinese philosopher Lao Tzu said best. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. The question is, are you willing to take that first step? Mm. Listeners, <laughs> I hope you are willing to take that first step because Mr. Frederick really gave us an overview of how when life throws you lemons, you can make lemonade. It's just you got you got to add a lot of sugar. <laughs> or so, don't add sugar. Or, or just drink <laughs> just drink it. but i really appreciate this conversation um it has been impactful and empowering and definitely encouraging to know that you are still yet growing and still yet flourishing and continuing to be an advocate and we're right here supporting you so you all make sure you follow mr frederick we have his information in our bio in the description box and we're going to see you guys on another episode. And can you just share your handles for us just for. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you guys. So if you guys want to follow me, you guys can follow me on Instagram at Mr. Underscore BD. Um, I try to keep that strictly to the podcast. However, I do sneak a picture of myself and pictures of other things every once in a while in there. Um, you guys can follow me on <laughs> You guys can follow me on Facebook at Frederick Beatty. Um, if you got if if anybody wants to come onto the show or even just want to just to just to have a conversation, you guys can hit me up. You guys can PM me and things of that nature. Um, if you guys, <clears throat> if anyone wants to come onto the show and just talk about anything, nothing's off limits. Nothing's off limits with me. Um, you can reach us. You can reach us at Trailblazers Radio at Trailblazers Radio Trailblazers with a Z radio at gmail.com and my personal author my personal email is authorflb at gmail.com so if you guys so i'm also open i'm open to speaking engagements you know virtual meetings like this i'm pretty much open to i'm pretty much open to whatever so if you guys if you guys want to talk to me most definitely hit me up in the on those social media handles yes yes We've enjoyed it, guys, and we're going to catch you on another episode of Resilient Love Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all listeners and subscribers. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Leave us a five-star review on Apple so that we can continue sharing resilient love. Thanks for listening.